The following program was previously recorded. We regret we'll be unable to accept your phone calls, but we invite you to participate during the next live broadcast of this program. The following is a CNY Talk Radio presentation. This is Taps Paramagazine Radio. Taps Paramagazine Radio. Here are your hosts, J.V. Johnson and Aaron Sagers. Good evening and welcome to the program, Taps Paramagazine Radio, your weekly broadcast into things unknown, brought to you, of course, by the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Taps Paramagazine and the Leatherstocking Media Group exclude heard exclusively here on the CNY Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, along with Aaron Sagers and Stacy Jones, as we uh, have a great show lined up for you tonight. I'm very exciting. We're, we're all... Uh, just chomping at the bit to uh, bring our first guest in, which we'll do in a few minutes, Travis Walden, who is probably the, uh, the I don't know if you'd call him the victim or the, uh, the experience or of uh, the most famous um, alien abduction case, an inspiration for the book and the movie Fire in the Sky. Yeah, I might actually go with victim on this one based on his story, which, you know, we'll hear about uh, shortly. But victim, victim, I think, uh, applies. Yeah, you know, he... he thought himself a victim for a very long time, but then he kind of sees that it was an act of compassion at later time. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have Travis on in just a little bit. Also later in the program, Lloyd Auerbach, who is the ghost hunter and author of the book just recently released, Ghost Detectives. It is the guide to haunted San Francisco. He'll be joining us later in the program. Aaron? Well, you know, I, as I am known to do, I was uh, browsing the internet looking for some interesting paranormal headlines. And sure enough, what did I find? Turns out that Ben Stiller has admitted to uh, no less than David Letterman that he is uncomfortable living in the New York suburbs because he feels that uh, his area and his house may be haunted. Uh, The actor recently moved to the Big Apple to star in the Broadway play The House of Blue Leaves and told David Letterman, quote, I have a little thing with quietness and spirits. I'm aware of ghosts. I sort of believe in ghosts, and my wife doesn't. She's afraid of axe murderers. Um, and he adds that he believes he's, he's lived in at least two other haunted houses before, uh, and that's from the star of Meet the Parents. So, um, Didn't we recently just have a story about um, Sammy Hagar and his uh, alien and, and paranormal experiences? The celebrities are coming out of the paranormal closet. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I have a whole list of uh, celebrities that are going on record talking about their paranormal experiences, and these are simply from my own interviews, um, and many of them from, like, you know, Ace Freely to, I don't know, Elvira to, like, you know, there's a long list of all of them that are saying, you know what? I have either been haunted or visited by an alien. However, very few uh, cryptozoological uh, sightings in the celebrity world so far. So. Guess they're not spending a whole lot of time in the woods. I know, that's what no. they need. Um, and then also, again, coming from my favorite uh, quote-unquote news source, the Weekly World News. Yes. Uh, this one, I actually, I might place a little bit of stock in. It turns out that the uh, brain-manipulating fungus that supposedly was only affecting the minds of ants, known as zombie ants, may also be jumping to humans. Um, It's a mind-altering fungus that remains dormant in fire ants and black ants uh, for as little as a few hours, uh, and and then also in carpenter ants. Then the fungus starts to take over the brain and turns them into zombie ants, 
And uh, the the Weekly World News says that due to the deforestation of the Brazilian rainforest, um, they've started to infiltrate cities of Brazil and uh, might be uh, jumping over to humans. So um, who knows? So these these ants with this fungus, what, bite a human and it transfers the fungus? Do we is, have to is cut that the, the ant's head is off? Is that the theory? Or? Yeah, uh, uh, apparently that, uh, you know, they find the, the dead ant and then um, instead of being bitten by the ant, instead it, it, it seems that the humans, well, one drunk human in particular, ate a dead ant. And um, and then I guess became somewhat zombie-like. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, as far as drunken activity, do not eat the ants in Brazil. Um, you know, don't maybe not drink the water in Mexico and don't eat the don't ants eat in the Brazil. Ants in Brazil. But uh, so this very well could be the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. And you heard it here first. Watch out. Board your, board your houses, but keep your radios on. <laughs> we'll keep you updated on the zombie ant story. Uh, Travis Walton coming up in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Our email address, if you'd like to drop a line to us, question, comment, or whatever, radio at tapsparamag.com. That's radio at tapsparamag.com. You are listening to Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. This is Taps Para Magazine Radio. Taps Para Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Welcome back to the program. J.V. Johnson here along with Aaron Sagers and Stacy Jones. Our studio line for our live programs is 315-421-9325. Our email address is radio at tapsparamag.com. That's radio at tapsparamag.com. We take questions through email. If you'd like to uh, send something in, we can answer it in on a future program. Or um, if you have a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Radio at tapsparamag.com. Later in the program, we will be talking with Lloyd Auerbach. He's the uh, famous ghost hunter and also author of the new book ghost detectives guide to haunted san francisco we look forward to that part of the program but we're also very very excited and very pleased to welcome to the program uh probably uh, the the gentleman who experienced the most famous and best documented documented case of ufo abduction of course we're talking about travis walton travis is the inspiration for the movie and the book fire in the sky travis welcome to the program hey thanks Travis, we had an opportunity uh, to meet briefly at Phenomenology in Gettysburg a couple weeks ago, and uh, you you gave a great presentation and talked about your story. And really, what I like to do is just throw it out. Just give us give us the nuts and bolts of what happened to you. Well, I was uh, working in the woods with six other men uh, back in uh, November of uh, 1975, and uh, we just finished the day's work and we're headed home. And it was getting dark. We spotted a glowing object through the trees. Uh, when we finally got where we could see what this was, there it was, hovering uh, outlined against the sky, this uh, metallic uh, disc, um, um, a flying saucer. I mm-hmm. mean, it was just, it was unmistakable. It was less than 100 feet away. And, and it was airborne. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't landed. Um I thought it would uh, leave uh, before I got very close, uh, so I got out of the truck and started towards it, but, but it wasn't leaving, and, and the men and uh, the rest of the work crew were getting pretty anxious about what I was doing, but when I got up close, I was uh, hit by a bolt of energy from the craft, and, uh, knocked unconscious. Uh, the 
the men in the in the truck thought that it had killed me, and uh, <laughs> from what they described, they, I can't blame them for uh, concluding that because mm-hmm. uh, it was a pretty violent uh, jolt of energy. Um, they took off and uh, and then they got a, got a grip on themselves, came back to see if they could rescue me. But uh, by then the craft had uh, left with me, and uh, and then so they went in and reported it to the sheriff, and uh, sheriff went back out with them that night to see if they what they could find. And but uh, the sheriff and uh, his men were really from the start uh certain that something really terrible had happened just from uh, looking at the men but uh they were suspecting that they that there'd been a fight or something that that maybe they'd murdered me and uh, mm-hmm. were just making up this crazy story to cover up for what they'd done mm-hmm. so uh they uh responded to the accusations with uh, we'll give us any kind of test you want you know sodium pentothal lie detector test whatever so the sheriff uh, had the uh State police polygraph examiner come in and test the men, and then when they passed, you know, people that wanted to explain it away just went from one theory after another. But all of those have been uh, thoroughly refuted with various medical tests and uh, documented evidence that uh, has uh, been put forth since then. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I was uh, unconscious and. Uh, the first thing I remember, I don't know how they got me on board, uh, but I was waking up. I didn't know where I was at first. I thought I was in a hospital. Mm-hmm. I could hear the sounds of movement around me, but when I could finally clear my vision and, and see, I saw these creatures standing over me, and uh, I just flipped out and just basically lost it, and uh, I, I, don't, I didn't really recover uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from the shock there, but... Um, they were like humanoid, uh, two arms, two legs, uh, a head with two eyes, but definitely not human. Uh, they uh, had no hair on their heads, they, and their heads were very large, and their eyes were just huge. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was probably the most disturbing thing about seeing them was the was the way their eyes just seemed to look into me or something, but uh, um, I uh, basically, uh, you know, responded, uh, lashing out at them and uh, in fear, and, and uh, I didn't actually hit them, you know, I, I guess I tried to uh, right off the bat, but it, it, I was just so weakened that... Uh, it really wasn't very effective, but for, for whatever reason, they did leave me alone at that point. And uh, were you fearing for your life at that point? Oh yeah, I yeah. was. I was, you know, I was just so horrified and shocked that I, you know, the fear was just off the scale. And you know, I've been in some situations before, but nothing like that. Right. So I went looking for a way out of there, and was really very uh, desperate and uh, doing some things that probably weren't the wisest thing, trying to open doors. But at, at that point, uh, a human-looking individual came in and uh, 
I, you know, just assumed right off the bat since he was human and then looked like these these uh, creatures that, you know, that basically I was rescued. So when he, when he wanted to take me out of there, I was only too happy to go, and he took me out of the craft. Now, at this point, I don't know if he's there the whole time or what, but uh, it was parked inside of this large... Uh, um, it was either like a, a, an airplane hangar, because mm-hmm. the roof curved down into one wall. The whole room was shaped like a quarter of a cylinder turned on its side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was either, you know, um, uh, a hangar or some kind of a larger craft. But um, then he took me out of that room uh, into another part of this larger, whatever it was, facility. And left me with some other people, and uh, they weren't responding to my questions either. The, these they, were actually other humans. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know they forced me down onto a table, and I was so weakened, and there was you know I was outnumbered that they really it wasn't much of a struggle. I uh, they put me down and uh, put a mask over my face, and uh, I lost consciousness. Did you have any sense of how how much time had trend uh, had passed from the point where you were knocked unconscious, you know, after getting out of the truck to that point? No, it, it turns out that I uh, was gone for over five days, and I and when I was returned, I thought it was still the same night. Hmm. So, but this conscious period uh, that I was returned with uh, was brief, and I don't know whether it was immediately after I was hit or towards the end, but. When I regained consciousness again, uh, it wasn't like the first time where I was in and out in a lot of pain. I, I came to fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the pain was still there, but not nearly like it was. And I looked up in time to see the, the craft uh, shoot up into the night sky. And uh, I recognized where I was, which was not my hometown, which was, you know, 45 miles from where the incident happened. Uh, but it was the town nearest where it happened, Heber, mm-hmm. and I, I could see the lights of the town down below, so I went down into the town and looked for help and finally uh, found some telephone booths uh, from which I, I called my family, and they, they came and got me. But it was quite a shock to learn how much time had gone by. I thought it was the same night. Mm-hmm. My brother said, feel your face, and I, and I had this growth of beard, and then I checked my watch, and you know, I don't know. For some reason, that just kind of like uh, finished me off. <laughs> yeah. I was in pretty bad shape for a number of days there. What, what, were there was there any physical uh, evidence of being struck by that bolt of energy of any kind? Did, did you did you have you know, burn marks, or was there anything that you could point to at that point? That no, there was a there was a little bit of pain in my head and chest area, but other than that, um, basically, you know, the I had a thorough medical workup. Um, and uh, the upper body x-rays and everything showed everything to be just, you know, in, in perfect shape. And, and that was a big relief because I was pretty concerned about, you know, the after effects of what might have happened. Uh, I had an EKG, an EEG, um, a lot of blood and urine tests and, you know, various uh, psychiatric examinations. This was in response to the uh, some of the efforts to explain it away that uh, that I that uh, maybe I had been hallucinating on drugs or, or alcohol or that I was um, had been 
led into this belief by the hypnotist or or that I'd had a temporary psychic you know, psych, psychological break. Mm. So a whole lot of testing disproved all those theories. But, but, you know, what was really dumb to me was, you know, these theories were being put forth as if, you know, there weren't uh, six other men who saw what I saw who passed polygraph tests, you know? Right. You're, lis- you're listening to Tabs Para Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Our guest this hour is Travis Walton. Travis, of course, uh, author of the book Fire in the Sky and the inspiration. His experience is the inspiration uh, for the book and the movie. Probably the best documented case of alien abduction ever recorded. Hey, Travis, what do you believe was taking place uh, during the time that you were out uh, and on board uh, this craft? I mean, what do you think they were doing with you? Well, you know, for a long time, people would just refer to it as, quote, medical experiments. But uh, I really don't think that was what was going on. Now, more and more lately, I'm thinking that they were probably trying to save my life. That, you know, I uh, acted unexpectedly uh, and got too close, and that uh, maybe some sort of automatic defense mechanism fired at me or some kind of energy discharge, because it was powering up and and rising up when I jumped up to run back to the truck. And that's, at that point, it was uh, when I was closest to the craft, and it kind of like closed the gap, and maybe this energy jumped through me in its path to the ground. And, and so they, they may have figured that they uh, uh, needed to repair the damage. And so probably, you know, either before or after I regained consciousness there, they were working on trying to see if they could uh, resuscitate me or, or repair. So what what led to you thinking over time, you know, maybe they were actually trying to help me? I mean, what what, what caused this shift in, um, in your right thought process? Right in the aftermath of it, you know, the fear of, of what was, had happened there, you know, uh, waking up in a lot of pain, struggling to breathe, and, and, and suddenly seeing these creatures so close in this cramped, dimly lit, um, claustrophobic space, all that stuff, you know, just made me really lose it with fear. And so that fear and the pain and everything dominated my thinking about it for a long time. But in retrospect, you know, they weren't causing the pain uh, in any way directly at that time. And you know, there's really no connection between my reaction and, and anything they did. And plus, you know, I, uh, I have to keep coming back to the fact that I was returned and, and near a place where I could get help. They, they didn't bring me to my hometown, which is this big, wide valley where, you know, they really would have been seen by many people from a distance, whereas... Uh, the town nearest where it happened had these uh, deep canyons feeding into it where they were able to get down below treetop and ground level very quickly. And in the middle of the night, there was no traffic. And, uh, you know, just as far as the appearance of these uh, creatures, um, the the ones that did not uh, look like humans, the ones that were humanoid, the eyes were, they had pupils, is that, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. They, when they were staring at me, uh, I, I actually saw them blink. Huh. Uh, and that was, you know, with eyes that large, it's kind of a very striking thing that really stands out. Uh, so it wasn't the typical um, description you hear nowadays about these big black 
uh, insect-like eyes. These eyes were, you know, basically, you know, like like a human eye, only huge. Travis Walton is our guest on uh, Taps Para Magazine Radio. We're talking about uh, his experiences uh, in the uh, in November of 1975, actually, the best documented case of alien abduction ever recorded. Travis is the author of the book Fire in the Sky, of course, was also uh, made into a movie. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into more discussion with Travis. You're listening to Taps Para Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. CNY Talk Radio. Taps Para Magazine Radio. Welcome back to our program. You're listening to Taps Para Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, along with Aaron Sagers and Stacey Jones. Our email address, if you'd like to send us a question or a comment, is radio at tapsparamag.com. That's radio at tapsparamag.com. We're pleased and honored to have as our guest this hour Travis Walton. Travis is the author of the book uh, Fire in the Sky. Of course, it's a telling of his experience um, in, in an alien, abdu- alien abduction case, probably the best ever recorded. Again, Travis, thanks for joining us. Um, good to be with you, J.B. So we were talking before the break about some of the specifics about the, the beings that you encountered uh, when you were, found yourself suddenly coming back to consciousness on board a craft. And uh, you had discussed the features very, very, um, in a very detailed manner. Um, large eyes, you, you, you witnessed them blinking. and it, But... but what about Stacy had a question about um, the other figures you encountered on this craft? You know, well, you know, it's it's always amazed me how little attention uh, uh, anyone has paid to this, and to me, you know, this could <clears throat> this could be the, um, you know, the key to the whole mystery. Well, uh-huh. yeah, I have to there. I have to agree with that. If if you're saying that that these these beings on the ship also had, you know, human characteristics and can pass off as us. I think that, that that that's just incredible in itself that we're not talking about grays. We're talking about, you know, they're people. They look just like us, and they can, you know, infiltrate us and be with us, and we'd never know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they'd, they'd pass in a crowd. But uh, in account after account, you know, whether it be in print or uh, a TV documentary or even, even the movie itself, you know, uh, this these beings were just basically left out of the description, like, all they wanted was some kind of a monster story, and, and they didn't really want to cover the what really happened there. And, you know, to me, there's lots of uh, things that might be suggested by this. Was there, is there some Earth-based connection? Uh, was this an intervention or, or some kind of a request for assistance? Um, who was in charge there? You know, it's, there's a lot of heavy questions. Here I am. Over 35 years later, and I don't have any solid answers, but uh, to me, that's that's uh, what was really uh, not covered, and and I'd and I'd like to get it covered if I could. I I've received uh, many, many, many um, letters and emails over the years, and uh, uh, all of them saying that they wish Hollywood had stuck to the real story. See, for a long time, I I didn't. Um, even want to do a movie. I didn't want it all stirred up again. I'd kind of, you know, the town had calmed down, and at least on the surface were treating me a, a little bit, you know, less like an oddity. And But, you know, the, I was persuaded that they weren't going to sensationalize it and that it would give uh, people an opportunity to experience at least the emotional uh, impact of uh, what we'd lived through. And, 
lines. And, you know, in, in that respect, I guess it was successful. But uh, still, uh, people are really um, hungry for a, a depiction of what really happened. And so, you know, I'd like to get a remake of the movie. I'd like to, you know, tell exactly what happened. A uh, certain amount of uh, simplification and uh, <clears throat> condensation is necessary. Anytime you're taking a, a real-life story and, and condensing it into 90 minutes of film, you know, um, a little bit of symbolism and whatnot is, uh, is uh, justifiable, understandable. But, but not that big of a departure. I, I'd, I'd just like to see the, the real thing get out there. Uh, and just to backtrack for a moment, Travis, this is Aaron. Um, you, the these other figures that were on board, for the listeners at home, do you believe they were um, alien life forms that appeared human, or do you think that they were actually, you know, humans that were somehow collaborating with these alien life forms? Just specify that for the uh, the listeners. Well, that's that's a question I haven't fully resolved. You know, um, <clears throat> could they be um, just merely representatives of some Earth-based agency who, who have a lot more technology than, than we're aware of? Or, or are there beings that um, resemble us coincidentally or, or maybe have some uh, more fundamental connection to Earth people in, in terms of maybe they are us from the future or some past or, or maybe, you know, we were seated here by them or something. I don't know. There's so many possibilities. But, uh, there, there, was, there was definitely some strange strangeness to them. These uh, human-looking beings would pass in a crowd, but at the same time, uh, pretty, pretty healthy specimens, um, tall and, and strong. And, uh, and, and they looked alike in a sort of a general sort of way, a family sort of way. They weren't identical. They were... Uh, similar coloring and you know did you have any any interest whatsoever in in ufos or aliens or or other life uh out there before all this happened to you oh i guess i had some because uh you know it's impossible in in today's world to have not you know considered the idea and um my brother had uh, seen something uh, in the woods during daylight um eight or ten years before, something like that. And so, you know, I'd, I'd thought about it, but it, it wasn't, I'd never, uh, you know, subscribed to any UFO publications or joined any groups or, you know, bought any books on the subject and nothing like that. Well, and as a logger, you're out there, and, um, I mean, you're, I, I would imagine, other than the guys you're working with, you're a lot of times out there alone, right, or, or you were when you were doing this. So I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity to... Um, hear things and see things out in the woods, huh? Oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, that, I don't think that's unique. I think um, just about anybody who spends very much time in the outdoors is going to see things, you know. Uh, sightings are really so common. It's, uh, I'd, I'd probably have to say that people who don't uh, just aren't looking. <laughs> and, you know, but meanwhile, on the ground, so you're, you're missing for uh, five days. On the ground, your friends are being accused of murder, um, you know, what was, I mean, coming back and hearing those stories, you know, what was that like for them, and uh, what kind of impact did your, um, you, you know, your missing case have on them? 
Well, it had a tremendous impact in town, you know, and it wasn't like the whole town was against the idea. It was worse than that. They were divided, you know. The, the town marshal uh, didn't believe it a bit, but his wife did. And, but his brother, uh, the county deputy, uh, thought maybe, you know, there was something to it, but, but his wife didn't. So, you know, just amongst those two brothers and their wives, you had a, a split right down the middle of brotherhood and marriage. And, and it was kind of like that throughout the town and uh, throughout the state, actually. And uh, once uh, there was uh, these UFO investigative groups got involved, there was a lot of uh, uh, warfare between them over the case because whoever doesn't get the case is going to attack it, and whoever gets it is going to defend it. And so, you know, it's uh, led for a lot of turmoil. And uh, the, the pressure that the, the men were under had to have been tremendous, being accused of murder. They didn't know if I'd ever be returned. And, uh, you know, this is pretty serious charges. Uh, and uh, that was really something that was, uh, you know, very seriously uh, pushed on them at that time. And on top of that, even after I was returned, they had some pressure just for the fact that they panicked and took off, you know. But I, I hold nothing against them on that because they thought I had been killed. And who's going to risk their life to save somebody who's was already dead, and uh, they thought they were next. So it was it was a perfectly uh, correct response, as far as I'm concerned. I probably would have done the same. You're listening to Taps Para Magazine Radio, and we're talking with Travis Walton. Uh, Travis is sharing his experience of alien abduction. And Travis, in 1975, was uh, was uh, taken aboard an alien craft. He wrote about it in the book Fire in the Sky, and of course, it was made into a movie, which loosely told the story, and we'll get into some of the differences between the actual story and, and the movie itself uh, as we progress through the show. Travis, I'm, I'm curious, other than the very obvious impact of, of, you know, encountering this other life, how was your existence, how was your life different when you get back on the ground? Well, you know, it changed everything for me. I, I was, there was no way I was going to be able to go back to being who I was and, and trying to, to live the way I was before, you know. It changed me inside, and it changed everyone's perception of me to such a degree that, you know, life just could never be the same again. Now, Travis, um, the, the one thing that you and I talked about when we were at Phenomenology, and I thought it was just the, the funniest thing, was you were saying that the school children actually had a rhyme um, about your abduction before you even came back. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you can you tell them the lyrics on that? Because that was something. <laughs> Flying saucer UFO. Where did Travis Walton go? Nah, 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 nah. Well, <laughs> some of it gets a little more colorful in the language, but uh, there was a lot of jokes uh, uh, circulating about the whole thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We heard that uh, Travis Walton was telling the truth. Oh yeah. Yeah, when he was returned, they found a Mars bar in his pocket. <laughs> so, you know, in spite of the fact that I was the butt of that, I, you know, you got to laugh. you got to find a little humor in, in there somewhere. Did you, when you, when you, you know, get back and you return to your normal life, first off, were you hungry when, I mean, what was, you know, what were your responses, your needs when you get back on the ground and, and you become aware of your surroundings? Do you need a I meal? Was, uh, I was a little hungry, but, you know, probably to the same degree if I 
as if I had, uh, you know, finished work and come home that night. But the the, the thing that wasn't uh, the same was uh, my thirst. I was extremely thirsty and drank a lot of water. As a matter of fact, they weighed me when I, right when I was returned, and then again uh, in the doctor's office, I think it was the very next day, uh, or within a day and a half, whatever. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the 11 pounds that uh, I appeared to have lost was regained very quickly. So the majority of that was probably dehydration. And, uh, you know, over time, I mean, you, you do these events and you're, and you're willing to tell your story. Uh, but was there a moment uh, right afterwards where you just didn't want to talk about it? Yeah, I, I didn't want to talk about it. And as a matter of fact, I couldn't talk about it. It was so traumatic that... It really took the hypnosis just to, to compartmentalize the fear and separate that from what happened. And so that was really the first time the researchers could even hear the first account of it all. But uh, I, I found out pretty quickly that if you don't do interviews, the media is going to do the story anyway, only it's going to take on a negative slant. So with all the, you know, explain it away effort that was going on, it, uh, it just, was a matter of defending myself that you know some of these theories were just ridiculous uh how could anybody even take this stuff seriously there was no evidence to support these things but i don't know maybe locally a lot of uh families found it as a way to console their kids <laughs> so that there weren't any nightmares at night or something but uh, they should have known better you're listening to taps para magazine radio our guest is travis walton travis you have a little more time for us Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. We'll continue continue our discussion discussion with Travis. You're listening to Taps Para Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Taps Para Magazine Radio continues on CNY Talk Radio. Welcome back to our program, and it's an exciting program for us. We're very, very pleased to have Travis Walton with us. Travis is the author of Fire in the Sky, a book that tells the story of his abduction by aliens, uh, also turned into a movie. A little later in the program, we've got Lloyd Auerbach, who's a famous ghost hunter and author of the book Ghost Detectives, The uh, Guide to Haunted San Francisco. Travis, I wanted to uh, just take a step back in the discussion and talk a little bit about the the human-like uh, beings that you encountered on the craft itself and ask you if you were familiar with the Woody Derenberger case. No, I'm not. You know, my, my way of coping with all this was to kind of compartmentalize it, box it up, and put it in, the, in even my own case. So I wasn't about to get into other cases. Well, it's, it's, just, it's just curious because part of that story, that Woody Derenberger in the 60s was visited by very human-like alien, well, what he said were alien uh, creatures and uh, had, had, were very, very close to human, however, slightly different, enough that if you really, really examined them, you could tell there was just a strangeness in their behavior that, uh, that made them not human. And I didn't know if that was a similar experience, and I know you didn't have a whole lot of time to experience these uh, creatures, but uh, would, you, would you think that might be similar? I don't think there was anything that would stand out in a crowd, although there was something kind of odd about their eyes. And uh, I worked with an artist to, to uh, you know, uh, recreate uh, these beings, both types, but I was never really able to put my finger on exactly what that thing with the eyes was. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we actually have an um, email question for you, Travis, uh, and this is from Pamela. Pamela. 
She said that um, she's sort of curious about the the doors on the craft. Um, you know, were they like swinging doors, uh, sliding pocket style doors? Uh, and and she acknowledges that you know she was sort of. Uh, influenced by popular culture like Star Trek, so you know, were those the kinds of sliding doors, or what? What yeah. were the doors like? Yeah, they slid back. Uh, uh, the the door to the room that I I didn't see a, a door in that, but there could have easily been a you know what they call a pocket door, something sliding back into the wall there. But when I exited the craft, that's the way it was. There wasn't anything that uh, swung open on a hinge. Okay, and. Uh, because popular culture is very much uh, my my ballywick. Let me let me ask you some questions about that. <laughs> um, yes, I did say ballywick, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I believe uh, 1975. That was the same year that Close Encounters uh, of the Third Kind came out, and then since then, there's been a lot of um, you know uh, alien encounter movies. First off, had had you seen these movies, uh, you know, before your experience and. And will you go see those types of movies now? I mean, just as recently as three weeks ago, there was a movie called Paul that came out. Well, I haven't seen Paul, but I did eventually see Close Encounters, but I do know that that came out quite a bit after the incident. Okay. Um, I guess, you know, it would be impossible to have had zero exposure to such ideas, but uh, I don't really... um, you know, seek to, seek that out. Uh, I don't think that Hollywood's going to be a, a source of information for me to make sense of my situation. But you know, I, I, the movies I attend basically has to do with the, my friends or whoever I'm going with. It, you know, it's not really my choice. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, 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 I'm wondering though, like, you know, just you know, staying with that for a moment, was it? you know did did any of that contribute to like a a post-traumatic uh situation for you um you know were there things that would trigger flashbacks or or you know cause uh, you know additional pain for you after after the event well you know even as much as the movie changed things from what happened to me that uh kind of really brings back to me the intensity of the emotion that I experienced at that time. Um, some of the things that happened aboard the craft, uh, even though they don't directly depict what happened, uh, really do uh, call forth the same kind of emotions. You know, uh, the feeling of, of suffocating and not being able to breathe is is called uh, called forth pretty pretty intensely there in the movie. Probably better than than it would have been had they stuck to what actually happened. But the representations of the interior of the craft as being organic-looking and all cluttered is just the opposite of the way it was, you know, very mechanical and sterile. And, and for all, all our listeners out there, I just want to say that uh, uh, all of the hosts here have met Travis before, and he's as normal as they come, like a very grounded, balanced guy. And, I, you know, Travis, I, I have to... To commend you because if I had had that same kind of experience, like I, I don't know that I could still, um, you know, interact in, in, in regular society and be a normal guy. Like so, you, you know. know I, I think the way to compare it with Travis is, is that if you ever went up to him and shook your hand, that would be the last person in the world that you would think right. had this kind of a story. 
And when he talks about the story, you know, if, if you read the book or watch the movie, you might have those doubts. But when you meet Travis and, and listen to his story, this really happened to this man. And there's no doubt. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the theories and some of the silly ones like the drug theory just is still hanging around. I see, you know, people on the Internet repeating that garbage after all this time. I had medical tests. Uh, blood and urine samples put through the county medical examiner's drug screen proved there was no drug of any kind in my body. But, you know, they just keep putting this stuff out, kind of like propaganda, hoping that people don't hear uh, the truth about it. I've, I've taken uh, five different, uh, and passed, five different lie detector tests from uh, three different examiners, all of those, uh, you know, uh, law enforcement type people. And, uh, uh it, I, uh, all I really ask is that if people are going to, you know, decide uh, anything about this case, that they look at the facts first. You're listening to Taps Para Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. We'll continue with Travis Walton and his amazing story of alien abduction when we come back. <laughs> 